You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of completing one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is sponsored by Antioch University's Low Residency MFA Program in Creative Writing. Want to learn how to write fiction, nonfiction, poetry, young adult, screenwriting, or playwriting in a two-year program that's mostly remote? Apply by visiting antioch.edu slash apply. Hi, my name is Christina Strain, and I wrote the movie Finding Ohana. Born on and raised outside an army base in Seoul, South Korea, Christina Strain moved to the United States at 18 to attend Louisiana State University, where she received a BFA in graphic design. After, she went on to color comics for Marvel Comics for 10 years, and during her last few years at Marvel, she started writing her own web comics. Shortly after attending several UCLA extension classes for screenwriting, Christina retired from coloring comics to pursue her master's degree in screenwriting at the American Film Institute. She's written and produced TV shows like The Magicians and Shadow and Bone, and written the Netflix film Finding Ohana. Finding Ohana begins with two New York kids, tomboy skateboarder Peely and her dopey big brother Ioane, traveling with their mom Leilani to visit their grandfather Kimo in Hawaii. When Peely, an avid geocacher back in New York, finds a secret journal promising hidden treasure, she sets out on an adventure that takes her deep into the heart of sacred volcanic caves. She's joined by her new friend Casper, a white kid who grew up in Hawaii. Ioane is loath to chase after her, but the prospect becomes intriguing when he's joined by crushworthy local Hana. The idea behind finding Ohana kind of comes from my own life. I am a Korean American who was born and raised in Korea. I lived there until I was 18 as a US citizen right off of a military base. And at 18 years old, once I graduated high school, I had to move back to the US to attend college. I experienced something I completely didn't expect, which was massive culture shock. I expected to understand what living in the US was like because I had visited my dad because my parents were divorced and he lived in the US. What I didn't understand was how fully Korean I was. So when I moved to the States, there was a lot of adjustments that I had to make and things that I noticed about myself in contrast to what I had expected my life as an American to be. So the inspiration behind the journey that the character Keely goes through is kind of inverse to the experience that I had, which is you are of this place, but you don't fully understand your place in it and what it means to you and your identity. So a lot of the inspiration behind the adventure aspect of the movie and even where it takes place just comes from my deep love of the following, Goonies in Hawaii. (laughs) Goonies was a seminal movie that helped inform my tastes as a young adult. I loved it so much. And I definitely credit a huge chunk of my affection for that film towards the actor Kikwan. Being in that movie and playing the character Data, that and his portrayal as short round in the Indiana Jones movies, which is another set of adventure movies that are deeply seared into my heart. Seeing Kikwan in those movies, 
gave me the ability to see myself as an Asian American in an adventure setting. So like, I have a lot of affection for Goonies because it was one of the few instances where like in the nineties, I could see myself on screen. I just spent a lot of time as a kid fantasizing about going on those adventures. And then my affection for Hawaii comes a lot from my feelings of displacement in the U.S. Moving from Korea to Louisiana was a difficult adjustment for me because, you know, I went from a metropolitan city like Seoul to Baton Rouge, pre-Katrina, which was a very different setting and a very different place. And since moving to the U.S., I've been around and seen places and the places in the U.S. that I found myself most comfortable are New York, because it's a very urban metropolitan setting. Los Angeles, because we have an incredible Korean-American community over here, and then Hawaii, because Oahu in particular, the first time I went to Oahu, it was the first time I was in a U.S. setting where I felt like I found a place where I felt comfortable. Between the number of mixed-race people that live in Hawaii, the fact that it's just a big melting pot, it felt familiar to me as a military brat who grew up with a lot of kids who were mixed-race and multicultural a place that when I go there, I feel like I fit in in a way that I didn't expect. The thing that got me representation was a combination of a pilot I wrote called The Fox Sister and Finding Ohana as a feature. Those two pieces were what got me my manager. And I think the thing the average person doesn't realize about the industry right now and the way it's structured is what ends up happening with the younger writers is a lot of the times you end up getting a manager first and then the agents come later. And that was exactly what happened for me. I found a manager based on some samples that I had. The TV sample I had got me staffed. And then this feature was something that they had in their back pocket that they could send around for other meetings. But I didn't get an agent until after I got staffed. The agent showed up essentially once money was already coming in. It's really frustrating because you shouldn't have to have both and you technically don't have to have both. But for me, I find that for younger writers, the more helpful of the two is the manager. Managers and agents are different. It's not that complicated. They used to be one job. They used to all be the agent. But nowadays, your manager is the person who reads your scripts, gives you feedback, and then kind of holds your hand as you're navigating the field. And your agent is the person who negotiates your contracts. That's really what it comes down to. My relationship with my agent and manager is that I love my manager. I love my manager so much. I love her so much that When the WGA told us we had to fire our agents, I was like, thank God I don't have to fire my manager. (laughs) My agents are fine, you know, like, but I had to let them go during our argument with the agencies. And as of right now, I don't have an agent, which I'm kind of okay with, but at some point I need to go get another one. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) The process behind writing Fighting Ohana, quite frankly, is a little wild. I wrote it while I was in grad school. My first draft of Finding Ohana, I wrote while I was attending the American Film Institute. And I went through this weird thing where it was my second year in the program, my last semester. And I was just really frustrated because I had spent a year and a half in the program surrounded by people who were writing these very dark kind of, you know, grad school style scripts where everybody wants it to be these like prestige films that are like getting to the trauma of human existence. And I just had a moment where I was just like, everything I've written is not fun. (laughs) And I, I desperately wanted to like my writing and I just didn't like anything I had produced up until that point. So I just had this epiphany moment where I was like, 
I need to stop writing what I think I need to write according to what my peers are writing. And I need to write something that makes me happy. So I just kind of went into my mind and asked myself, like, what is the thing that my heart most desires? And I was just like, I want to write a fun action adventure flick for young me. And that basically would be Goonies in Hawaii. So I set out to write Goonies in Hawaii. And that was just like the starting point, you know, obviously from that point on, I then just asked myself, like, what is it that I'm actually trying to say? And, and a lot of that came down to, you know, like, I want to tell a story about a girl's identity. I want to see a female lead character that I, as a child could have identified with, which is always a precocious boy. Like, what does that look like in female form? And so I just kind of had a mental checklist of things that I wanted for myself. And then I proceeded to write it. And then quite frankly, the reason it got written, aside from the fact that I wanted to write it was like, I had deadlines. (laughs) I think every writer is different. There are writers who are really good at the routine of it all. I am pretty sure I have ADHD. I am like a terror and deadline driven creature. Like I need the pressure of it all. So I was very lucky in the sense that, you know, when you're in grad school, you have these deadlines. So for me, that script easily could have been something that I could have been very precious about, but having those deadlines to crank out a terrible first draft was super important because I have discovered since then, my first drafts are always the most painful ones to write because I just hate myself writing them. It's just like running. I hate doing it. I hate doing it, but I feel great afterwards. And part of the reason I hate running is I just hate myself. I'm just like, I hate this. And that is very much writing for me. So I just had to push through the process of hating it, get that first draft out. And then the second draft is always surprisingly easier for me to do because then I can look at what I have and I can be critical about what I don't like, but then ask myself how to fix it which is so much easier than staring at a blank page. Like when I'm looking at a blank page, I'm just like, there are too many options. When I'm looking at a written script, then I'm like, this option's wrong. What about this option? So yeah, the process was just basically, I had deadlines I had to meet, which was great. And then I did a rewrite, which also was deadline driven, but that one was much easier for me to self-motivate doing because it's easier for me to work with something that exists than to just piddle in my mind (laughs) with what it could be. Like I said, I am not at all a writing schedule person. I just, I wish, I wish I were good at routines. The only time I've ever been good at routines is like when I had a gym mate and I had to go to the gym. For this in particular, I have a hard deadline. I know in my head approximately how long something is going to take. I will always procrastinate that first day or two, but then it's just a matter of like, oh God, I don't want these pages to be total garbage. I need to start on them now. So a lot of the times I find that I work better in the morning. My routine, quote unquote, is to try to, you know, get up, drink some coffee, get caffeinated, and then sit down, try to write for like an hour and try to ignore the internet. I have a program called Freedom that literally prevents me from going online. And then I always go to that, hit two hours on that. And that essentially forces me to write. And then I will write for two hours. And once it goes off, look at the internet. And then I basically have to do that again. So like, Thank you to the developers of freedom that keep me off the internet. That's apparently the only thing that keeps me focused. The one thing I have going in my favor as a person who can't help but like procrastinate and live off of anxiety is that I don't want to suck. (laughs) So like I'm, I'm fueled by the need for it to at least be decent. So yeah, I write in the mornings in 
terror and fear and I cut off the internet and that's how it gets done. So this script in particular was very unique to my process. I find that when I write things, I tend to mix it up according to whatever the project is and what the project might need. For Finding Ohana in particular, I did write a very loose like three page outline to just kind of understand what massive tent poles I was trying to hit. And the thing that I will make sure has to stick are all of the big temple moments, the inciting incident, the end of act one, the midpoint, the end of act two. There are certain things that I know I have to hit and then the rest of it can kind of be free form and I can make adjustments along the way according to what I discover in the moment when I'm writing it. The thing I did for this script in particular that was unique to everything else was after I wrote my outline, nobody asked me to do this. I just decided to do it. I then wrote a two-page letter from the main character, Peely, to her best friend, Yoli, just to kind of understand this character's voice, because I wanted to understand her perspective on this trip that she was going on, this fact that she was being pulled out of her home, New York City, and being put in a rural portion of Oahu and forced to live with her grandpa, who she doesn't know very well, and like how that character felt about it. And it was great. I just figured out a lot about that character's tone, that character's voice, that character's want. And it was just something that I did one evening to kind of like set myself up. And from that point on, I was able to churn out pages because I understood who she was. So like anytime I put her in a, you know, in a pickle, like I knew how she would handle it. The first draft of Finding Ohana, I, I want to say I wrote it about two months because I know I did two drafts before the end of the first semester and then I had a few weeks after that. So I wrote two drafts in total over the course of four months, maybe. I took a break from it for a minute and then I did a third draft two months later in about the same amount of time. And then there was a fourth draft after that that I did in about two weeks. It was a little bit more of a polish, but with that script in particular and every script's a little bit different, that script in particular, I think it was about month and a half for the vomit. Yeah, no, it was two months for the vomit, two months for the polish, somewhere around there. My process to revisions is pretty simple. I am a sense emotions based writer. I tend to read something and if I'm not feeling anything from the scene, like if the scene is not delivering me the emotion that I intended for it to deliver, I know it's wrong. And then I ask myself, why am I not feeling anything from this scene? I have one very simple motto when it comes to writing, which I actually learned in a UCLA extension class. Does it fuck me in the heart? That's really all I want to do. Like all I want to do is feel something in my writing. And if I, as the person who wrote it, who understands what the intention was, if I'm not feeling any of the emotion that I set out to put on the page in the readback, I know I didn't do it correctly. And I'm not a particularly precious writer, at the end of that first draft, dismantling everything I have and asking myself, why isn't this character's journey landing? And if it's not landing, what do I need to do to make that point shine through and really fuck myself in the heart? Because if I'm not fucking myself in the heart, I have failed. And I am okay with that. I just want to go back and like fix it. <laughs> What's interesting is when I look back there were several things that I can think of that weren't landing, but instead of telling you <laughs> what I know wasn't landing and how I fixed it, let me tell you the story of the thing that I knew landed and how I undid it and then went back and added it again because that was a mistake to undo it. So I knew from the very first draft, and spoiler alert, <laughs> that Peely's father was going to be a night marcher. When I conceptualized the story, I wanted to tell the story about 
you know, of a girl who was kind of looking for something and she didn't know what it was. And the treasure that she really got at the very end was to meet with her father who she hadn't, you know, he passed away when she was one. And that's really all she wanted was to kind of understand who that person was. And so I wrote several drafts with the dad as the night marcher. And then in the fourth draft, I removed it because it wasn't landing the way I wanted it to. It was kind of coming out of nowhere. And the feedback that I was receiving from people was like, I don't understand. This came out of nowhere. and I'm not really sure why this happened. And I was like, I know the emotion that I want to get out of this moment. And it's clearly not there because I clearly have a lot of daddy feels that I need to work through myself. So I removed it from the fourth draft, which was fascinating because Netflix was interested in it without having that ending. So then when I met with them and told them what that ending was supposed to be, they were like, oh God, yes, please put that in. (laughs) I was like, okay, cool. It's coming back. So then at that point I had to sit down and ask myself like, what's the best way to set up this ending without giving it away too early. But at the same time, making sure you understand how important it is for Peely to see her father in this moment. You know, when I set out to write this movie to begin with, that was always baked in to the premise. Like the notion was always that Peely was kind of trying to figure out who she, who she is and where she comes from. And I think on a very surface level, it's very easy to say, oh, it's, you know, about this Hawaiian girl who goes back to Hawaii and understands more about Hawaii, but it extends beyond that. You know, it's her place in her family. She's been separated from her grandfather in a way that she doesn't really have any control over. So she doesn't understand her relationship to that portion of her family. Her mom doesn't talk about her dad. So she doesn't understand that part of her identity and her family. And I think that like the natural instinct I had and the ripple effect of that was to kind of understand that this was a character naturally tied to, I think, my own in a way. Like this is, it's such a personal story for me on multiple levels because it's, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, I grew up overseas without my dad. I moved in back in with my dad. I had to do all of these explorations of like what that relationship looked like. And then it just kind of branched out from there because it was like, if this character is this way, that means that every other member of her family is gonna have a similar problem. And it just kind of ripples out from there. I would go as far to say that you can't write anything that's really true unless you get introspective enough to understand you might need therapy. (laughs) After I wrote that fourth draft and my managers had it, it was sent around and I met with several producers. First, I got staffed on a television show, The Magicians. It's great. If you haven't seen it, watch it. And while I was on The Magicians, I started getting meetings with producers who were interested, not in the script itself, but me writing something else for them. And because I was in a position where I was making money writing television, I didn't want to write other people's movies. No offense. It is a great opportunity. I just found myself in a weird situation where I was meeting with these people who were like, I love the script but we're not going to make it. And I finally, at one point was just like, I got nothing to lose. And I was like, if you were to make this movie, what changes would I have to make? Cause you know, you get a lot of pleasant speak around how great something is and how they wish they could. And I'm just like, if you were to do the thing, what would have to change? And the response that I got was essentially like, it would have to be a cheaper movie, which would make it not the Goonies-esque movie it was. And they wouldn't know how to cast it. The leads were primarily Pacific Islanders and they didn't know how to cast 12 and 16 year olds who were not white kids. 
at that moment in time, I just was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to be a TV writer. That's all there is to this. I'm just going to, you know, I didn't write that script for anybody, but myself anyway, it's done its job. A few years later, while I was still in The Magicians, I got a call from my agent who set me up with a director, June Wang, who ended up our director. And I met with her and she was like, I love the script. I want to try to get it made. And she was like, pick me as a director. And I was like, yes, there's no other director. There's just you. And she was like, oh, cool. And I was like, yeah, like if we can get anybody to make this movie, I would love for you to direct it. So then I got a call several months later, maybe almost a year later from my agent. And he was like, don't be mad. I slipped it to a Netflix exec and she's into it. And I was like, what? So then things moved at that point, they moved shockingly fast. The next day I found out Netflix was interested in buying it, but they wanted to meet with me. I met with Netflix. That was when I told my exec at the time, Janet Wu. So this is the real ending. <laughs> I told her the ending that I had removed from the end. And she was like, oh, that's, that's good. Why'd you take that out? And then I had to explain the whole like, well, I've got to think about my own feelings for a minute. And at that point, my biggest question for Janet was just, you know, I was like, I would love for you guys to make this. I just want to make sure that you know, we cast actual Pacific Islanders and Asians in this movie. And she was like, oh yeah, we're not whitewashing this. This is why I want it. And I just like lost my mind because I suddenly was in a weird situation because her whole thing was like, nobody's writing these movies and I totally want to make this movie. And I was like, I wrote this movie because nobody's making these movies. <laughs> so it all worked out great. But like at the same time, it was total luck that it all played out the way that it played out. From that point on, it was like Netflix bought the movie and I did several more rewrites and then we shot it and it was great. Once Netflix bought the movie, then began the second round of rewrites. It had been a few years since I had written the movie, you know, when it sold. And at that point in time, I had been writing television for a while. So rereading that script was a little cringy for me because I was just like, oh, I've come a ways. And so the first rewrite involved me writing a new outline document because I wanted to do a pretty big rewrite of it. Netflix had several notes on the draft that they bought, and I essentially submitted to them this outline document going step by step through everything that I wanted to rewrite. And so then at that point, I did what was 95% a page one rewrite. There are some scenes that have shockingly survived from the first draft to the last draft. And interestingly enough, the third act, I brought back versions from a previous draft for a fifth draft. So it was weird taking sections from a third draft into a fifth draft and then making it better. But at that point in time, it was like, here's the outline. Here's my game plan on what I'm going to do. I am going to go write, write, write. And then I spent a few weeks, write, 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 send them that first rewrite. And then at that point, I got notes and then... I was off to my second rewrite. And since the first rewrite was such a structural rewrite and such a big rewrite, I mean, it was a rewrite, but it wasn't as heavy lifting as the first one because the second rewrite was more along the lines of let's strengthen every tertiary character's storyline. We have Peely's down, we have Leilani's down, let's like get everybody else's structurally sound. And all along the way, I was always sending my director my drafts. She and I were working pretty closely together. And after that second draft, there were two polishes. 
And along the polish route, what ended up happening was my director and I would meet in between me being sent off to draft and me turning in the draft, showing her the draft before I'd give it to Netflix. And then she and I would go over it. And if she had any thoughts or things that she wanted to include, I went and added those into the script. There's a really fun drunk history style retelling of things with the pirates. And that was all Jude. Like Jude came to me and she was like, I want to do this drunk history style retelling of the stories because I had these interesting kind of flashbacks, but it's like, who's flashing back? Nobody was there. She had this idea and I was like, that's great. So I included that in one of the polishes. And I want to say in between those polishes, I did an additional polish just for Jude so that we could get ahead of production because she had some thoughts on how things would be shot because she wanted to do a bunch of practical things. So we were kind of going back and forth on all of that. It was several months of ping-ponging between my director and Netflix. And she helped me break story at one point when I was crunching. Like, it, it was great. We just, we did a lot of collaborating. Once the drafts were done, we went into production. My producer and director and Netflix were kind enough to ask me if I wanted to be on set. And for those of you who don't understand this, like when you're a TV writer, you go to set, you produce your episode. The idea is that you will be on set to make sure that tone is maintained. You get the performances that you want. You get all the shots that you need. You do that. On features, writers are not always invited to set and writers are, it's not disposable, but there's a little bit of a, you're done. Thank you. We'll let you know when it's done. But for Finding Ohana, everybody was super gracious. They asked me, you know, do you want to come to Hawaii? So I went to Hawaii. The table read, we all agreed I should be there for that because there are always rewrites that come out of a table read. So we did the table read. I stayed for some rewrites. My whole thing with my director And I said this to her right from the beginning was I was like, you and I are both TV people because this was her first feature. And I said to her, I was like, I just want to make sure we treat this like a movie. Like, I don't want you to feel like I'm on your back telling you how to direct. I don't want to crowd you. I want you to feel like you are the captain of the ship because that's the way it should be. And my fear was that because she had been TV directing before that if I was on set for too long, we'd fall into this sort of natural rhythm that I would feel like I'd have to give her a note and she would feel like she had to take it. So I didn't want to get in her way. So my whole thing was, I want to be there for the table read and I want to be there for like one day of shooting. I just want to see like one day of shooting so that like I'm there and I get to enjoy witnessing the birth of this thing. And then I'm going to get out of your hair and then just send me some updates as you go and we'll be good. So that's what I did. And it was like a very emotional thing for me because I got to drive on to Kualoa Ranch, which was a surreal experience. And yeah, I got to watch them shoot some stuff in the valley. And then at the end of that day, I went home and was like, oh my God, this thing is getting made. (laughs) Oh, it's wild, right? That's another thing that's difficult is that I'm a TV writer. So I've been lucky enough to have experienced post like on The Magicians, my showrunners were great and they would send the writers to post. And so you would sit with the editor, give notes and feedback. You'd have a say in some of the final cut. You don't get that in features. In features, you kind of like keep your fingers crossed and hope for the best. My director showed me an early cut and I had notes. I also, (laughs) I also was just like, this is so, this is like weirdly harder than not being on set because all I want to do is just sit down because editing is like the second draft you know, like editors are like your second writer on anything. Anybody who doesn't give editors that sort of credit is just wrong because editors are their own kind of writers. 
And so like not being able to sit down with my editor was weirdly harder than not being part of the production process where I was just like, oh no, I just want to see my editor and tell her what I think, but backed off. <laughs> and then I saw a final cut later on and I watched it with my husband and I was just like, oh, this is really cute. Like, it's really cute. And so, yeah, it's so weird because you're so involved in the front end and you're so not involved in the back end. And you're just like, I hope it comes out well. <laughs> in terms of writing more movies, I'm not entirely sure. There's a few things. I will fully admit I am super lucky because I had a great time during the process of making this movie. I really like my director. I really like what we got in the end. I am insanely proud of the script that I wrote. And I'm like, I don't know that the experience gets better than this. You know, I sold something that was mine. I sold something that was personal. I worked with people that I like. It is a film that child me would have loved. And I love everybody involved. And so like, I'm kind of like that bar is real high now. And so I really love writing television. And I think in terms of features, like the weird position I'm in right now is I'm like, do I do TV for the pay and then just write spec? feature scripts for myself as a sort of outlet? Is that like what I do moving forward? I mean, we'll see. I don't like the idea of writing scripts that get shelved and sit in a cabinet for the rest of eternity and to never to see the light of day. And at the same time, I'm also just like, I had such a great experience with this one that even if I do get another movie made, if it's a total terrible experience for something that I'm not passionate about, will it have been worth it? So yeah, my relationship to features at this point in time is going to be, I have a movie I want to write right now for me, and I'm going to write that in the next few months. And if it sells, it sells. And if it gets shelved, at least I wrote it for me and I enjoyed it myself. The best writing comes out of you writing for yourself and nobody else, because you have to make sure somebody loves it. And if it's you, then you've succeeded. The only advice that I would give to people is write honest and write for yourself. When I say that I write with the idea of fucking myself in the heart, it's the, probably the simplest piece of advice that I can give anybody is like, are you feeling something in this moment? Like, are you just trying to conceptualize something and get it on the page? Or are you actually trying to feel something on the page? And if you are being very honest with yourself and you are recognizing how you feel when you read your own stuff, the pains and palpitations in your chest is a sort of meter of success. Like it makes a huge difference in your own writing to understand what you've done and what you need to do to get to that place. The Right Process is hosted and curated by me, Charlie Jensen. This season was produced by Jamie Moss. The Writer's Program offers courses, certificates, and services that help writers achieve their writing goals one page at a time. For more information, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.